by the mid half of the century 70% of the population will be living in urban areas cities become more and more congested and there is no more space on the roads there is no more way you can build the roads but what this urban this AUM will help is decongest the, that cities now you don't have to worry about because now you can live in the suburbs and take flying cars to your office and you are there in 10 minutes Welcome to the Mr. Rat Show, where I talk to the most interesting global personalities about the future of humanity. All right, beautiful people, thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm very happy and grateful that today I have my man, Akash Mishra, joining us from, I believe, France. And he's going to talk about a very interesting topic that is unmanned flying vehicles, AKA flying cars, flying taxis. I'm super excited to have Akash today. Akash, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for inviting me here, sir. It's uh, it's a really interesting topic to talk about, you know, as you said, flying cars in layman terms, but in technical terms, we call it urban aerial mobility. Urban area mobility. Does it encompass more than just the cars? is it, is it a whole system? Uh, how advanced is the whole system already? Exactly. Dev- it encap- encompasses our entire ecosystem, you know, from uh, delivery drones to medical deliveries, courier deliveries, food deliveries, even uh, air taxis, right? And when you talk about like uh, flying cars, it, you can say it's, it's, it's kind of a layman term to explain it's a flying car, but uh, in technical terms, when governments or authorities refer to it, They are referred to as urban aerial vehicles, UAVs. Okay, urban aerial vehicles. And so tell me more about Akash. Tell me more how how you got here. I mean, what's your background? Tell us a bit more your story so that we can, you know, get get into the into the more interesting topics after that. But I wanna I wanna have a little background check to see how we got here, Akash. Actually, it's really, 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 really interesting. I, I from a very diverse background. And to start off with I have worked as an IT developer. After that, I was working as an astronomer. Then I was the workflow of the initial employees for Uber India to launch Uber South Markets. And then I had my own startup, which was related to logistics and freight, uh, uh, which was on demand for big trucks. And I wanted to explore more about drone logistics. That's how I was searching for a master's to, to pursue my career in this. And I ended up in Toulouse. I did my master's from Enac Toulouse in unmanned aerial vehicles. And after I finished my master's, I was work- I did my internship at Sopra Asteria. Basically, my project was integration of ATM and UTM, or uh, air traffic management and unmanned traffic management. I think we'll come to that part later. And yeah, yeah, you can come to that part later. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm not sure if I understand what the terms mean, but I, I mean, I have an, I can imagine, but maybe you can go deeper into that later. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, after I finished my internship, I was in touch with a few people from, from Ehang. And that's how I ended up in Ehang as a engineer and a drone pilot. Here, basically, I pilot like few systems for Ehang like the big one, E216. I also pilot the E-Hang drone swarm and the logistics drone. Okay, beautiful. You have to explain me all that. I guess those are different models 
For the people that are listening live to this conversation on Twitter, we normally, you know, have a conversation with, with the speaker and we're open to questions uh, anytime or later on. If you want to jump in, you just have to raise your hand and I'll give you the mic. Um, it's a pretty open conversation. Normally we uh, leave the bigger questions from the public for the end, but feel free to interrupt if you find that appropriate in any moment. So Akash, you were talking about the different models, but before jumping into, into that, and now that you, you know, we have a little bit of background of where you come from, maybe you can tell us a bit more, why were you interested in this topic specifically? You as a person, you come from a startup, you said you work in Uber, you also yeah. had your own company as a, you were an entrepreneur. Why did you decide to move into this area of uh, the market? Let's put it this way. I was, I was pretty young and I love being involved in the new technologies which are coming up and the drone technology, which, which has been, and which has taken shape in past previous years, it has a huge, huge potential. And me being an entrepreneur coming by heart, I had to take a shot at it. So that's how I ended up in this sphere. As, as you look at drones, right? Drones, are, it's a very interesting space. It's not something new. Drones have been like, uh, you have been here for like hundreds of years. You won't believe it. Like the first uh, unmanned aircraft to fly was in 1920. And even in 1879, if you see in Austria, uh, war in Vienna, they used, uh, you can say double quotes, unmanned vehicles to over the city, right? And then recently, you know, within the past hundred years, you know, the, the drone have been very active in the military sphere. The interesting, interesting phenomena started happening somewhere around two, uh, 2006. When people realize like what could be the potential and for these kind of services would be and, and governments around the world started testing for medical deliveries because there are a lot of areas which, which are not reachable by aircraft or by helicopter or which are very hard to reach. So they, they came up with an idea, why not use the drones? And from there, the commercial applications of the drones started and started picking up. And why, why do you think like if, if we had first drones at around the twenties, why do you think it has taken so long? could also imagine some answers, but I want to hear from you. Why do you think it has been taking so long to really become a commercial thing, having flying cars all around the city? I mean, if you look at the Jetsons, I, when I was a kid, I used to watch yeah. the Jetsons, the, the, oh. this, these cartoons, and I found it fascinating that they could fly over the city and just like land on their house that was like mounted on, on this huge tower and every house was sort of on the sky. As a kid, I loved that, but we, we still don't see it in reality. What's, what's happening? It's, if, if you look at it in, in 20s and 30s, what was happening, very interesting things were happening. There was a lot going on. It was the first industrial revolution. People were figuring out, like getting up with the new cars. If you, if you see the first lemma, which happened in 1925, people were experimenting with aircrafts. People were experimenting with the unmanned aerial vehicles. And it, it more, it, it's, it's more towards the policy and more towards, you know, integration and, and the safety of the airspace. If you see the number of accidents in the aviation that was happening at that at moment of time, which were very, very high. And I should not say, but so much of accidents that happened that aviation evolved to be such a safe space to be in right now. And so the governments were not willing enough to pursue that as a, you know, pursue that as, in, as, as a safety option. You know, it's more towards the government policies, more towards the safety and more towards the condition of the airspace at that moment of time. But if you look at it today, the technology has basically miniaturized. If you look at the drones at that time, they were basically planes, big planes, which cannot be used for travel inside the cities. 
right? And they wanted to make it more and more safer option for the people to travel around the around the country or around the globe. So you're saying it went from you know being large aircrafts to smaller vehicles like flying vehicles or drones. Exactly. And, the, and the policy and its safety and the safety of of these flying cars has been like the the main thing of why we don't have them in a commercial space as exactly. If you look at aviation today, aviation is a if the safety parameter of aviation is around ten to the power minus nine. That means you have one in a billion chance of having an accident in aviation today. And we have reached there not just by by like tomorrow. It has been a development over hundreds of years. And now the flying taxis, as you say, are coming into the picture. It will take another five to ten years to integrate them safely into the airspace. And what's so, missing? What's missing right now? I mean, you say that one in a billion in aviation is yeah. the probability of having an accident. And how do you know the number for for this kind of uh, vehicles at the moment? Uh, it's 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 varying between. It depends upon which vehicle you are uh, going with. Between ten to power minus three to ten to power minus six. So until unless we reach the safety number of ten to power minus nine, uh, the commercial operations would be hard to start. And does it depend from region to region, I believe, in terms of uh, the policy or some, some regions that have maybe stricter policy than others? Exactly. It, there, there are a lot of factors involved. It's not just a policy. There is a design factor involved as well. If you see, there is no homogeneous design available at the moment. Everybody is experimenting with it, what works and what does not work. If you see at the ambition, there's so, a... Sorry to interrupt you. When you say everybody's experimenting, you mean different companies, different manufacturers? Exactly. Different manufacturers coming up with okay. different design concepts, coming up with different types of engines, making it more secure and safe. See, so first is the design. Second is like, as you said, the policy, the, this is something new and aviation where I've been like under the hair for hundreds of years. So it, it needs to be safely integrated into these skies, right? So it's not something which can be done overnight. And third is the technology itself, which is evolving at a very high pace. It will take another few years for the technology to reach that mark, to reach that safety level, so that we can put people inside and like have a safe flight over the city, point A to point B. When it comes to like the different regions in the world, I believe that if I'm not mistaken, China has taken the lead in terms of using the vehicles already somehow in a commercial purpose. Is that correct? Are, are we seeing that in Europe or elsewhere in the world? Or am I wrong completely here? Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. It, it's just the how fast the processes are. But uh, Europe is not far behind. If you know to, to, uh, 2024 Olympics in France, uh, they're trying to launch the air taxi operations, which will... Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, which will ferry people from airport to their, to their hotels. And it totally depends upon, you know, how... how it, 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 it's historical. It's where the country or where the region functions, you know, and China has been going pretty fast when it comes to technology, but they are still yet far behind launching commercial passenger operations. It, it hasn't started yet, but they will be the first one, I think, to, to, to start. So you think China will be the first region to start doing that because they, they've been trying and testing more than other regions? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And when you talk about, the, I find it super interesting that France is trying to have this flying shuttles from airports to hotels in the, the next Olympic Games. Yeah. When I imagine a flying car, a flying drone that is transporting people, and I've watched some videos of Ehang, I see that the vehicles need some sort of space to land. I understand that they go vertically up and down. They don't need yeah. to like, they don't need like a runway, like, like an airplane. 
but maybe you can explain us a bit more how, how it works, what kind of space it needs. When I think about Paris, uh, having these flying vehicles, my negative side of my mind thinks, oh, wow. So how many taxis are going to be there? What kind of routes do they take? Who's going to know, you know, what kind of streets are there in the air so that the pilots know how to manage this? How, how does all this work? Maybe you can take us a bit around that. Sure. So if you look at the new regulations, right, these places where, which will be specifically designated for them to take off and land are called as vertiports. Now here, the, now here the thing is, these, these vehicles do not require a huge amount of space. It can be 20 meters of circle where they can take off and land if you follow the proper uh, proper regulations and stuff. Really like a 20 meters diameter of maybe the top of a building, for example, or? Exactly. Top of the buildings. It can be even like you see a lot of parking lots which can be converted into the vertiports. A lot of, most of the cities have a lot of uh, heliports also integrated into the city ecosystem. Those can be also used as a landing and takeoff point. So infrastructure, I would say most of it is already there. We just ha have to repurpose it. And as, as you talk about another thing, about what route it will, it will be taking, it totally depends upon the safety case analysis. It, it would, uh, basically, the manufacturers would be working with the civil aviation authorities to define the routes to to see what will be the safer options to take and the vehicle will be following the fixed, fixed route. In case of emergencies, the pilots can always, you know, take over and redirect those. So wait, explain me something because you, when I met you, by the way, I met Akash in Dubai in a conference called JITEX. It's a, a huge tech conference that happens, I believe, every October. And he quickly explained me how it works, but it was super chaotic. There's so many people. So that's why I wanted to invite you to, to have this conversation. And one of the things that came to my mind is when you told me that you could actually drive these guys, these drones remotely, I found that fascinating. He, but you're saying now that you can also drive it in within, like you're inside of the, of the yeah, aircraft. No, no, no. So, no, you can't. Okay. So tell me more about how that works. Who flies yeah. the drone? Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. It, the, the pilot is always there on the ground. You know, he has the entire awareness of the ecosystem that he's flying in, right? And by emergency, I mean, there's a camera, there's a constant monitoring, which is happening. And there are a lot of error checks that happens inside the vehicle. So when it comes to piloting these systems, it's more of monitoring rather than piloting. And in case of emergencies, the remote, you can take over the remote control. That's what I meant by this. But uh, as you said, there are two kinds of systems right now. Few systems are manual with the pilot inside. Few few of the manufacturers have that because, as you say, authorities will not allow autonomous, complete autonomous flights as of the moment. First, it will be manual piloted, and then second step would be autonomous flights. Okay, autonomous flights meaning that these vehicles would fly by themselves using sensors and stuff like that, or how exactly that works? That's uh, exactly you. Like, suppose you have taxi operation going on from point A to point B. You can basically code the route and, and, and feed it into the system and the vehicle will, will follow the designated route or it will fly automatically on its own. And what if there are other vehicles? I mean, imagine 50 years from now, you have thousand, hundred thousand vehicles. I mean, imagine a city like Tokyo or Paris. It's, it's very dense. There's a lot of people around moving from A to B. And let's say they all want to take a, an air flight. Uh, from A to B, how do they communicate? I mean, how, how do you make sure I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's like one side of my head tells me, of course, technology can do that. That's obvious nowadays, you know, 
this is technology so advanced that I can't imagine this is already possible with AI and predicting sort of. Exactly. So at the moment, you do it in two ways, right? There's something called as strategically by doing the perfect route planning and everything to avoid any obstacles on the way. And then there is something called as tactical. Basically, you have systems installed like collision avoidance systems, terrain avoidance systems, which which take care and in case your strategic mitigation fails. So you do it by technology and by planning before you start your operations. Okay, so you have like a, like, and those planning teams are part of a city right now, or are they privately sitting in the companies and the manufacturers' um, offices? Operators, see how the normal aviation works. Airbus is not an operator, Airbus is a manufacturer. But if you take Air France, Air France is an operator. So that's that's the job of an operator to, to, to do that. So it will be, Air France, who would be planning, filing all the routes, planning all the routes, you know, taking care of all the operations. It will be a job of the operator, not the manufacturer. I see what you mean. But like, um, when I think about, when I compare, if I compare it to planes that go from one country to the other, I completely agree with you. But if I look at cars or taxis that are within mm-hmm. the same territory, within the same jurisdiction, the planning of the routes of public buses, they're normally, as far as I understand, they're made by the city, so the public office is a team sitting that is part of the city is paid probably by the taxes that we all pay. So I know this is not, we're not there yet, but no, how so do you imagine? If you take that example, if you take that example, in that case, your city is the operator. That's why they take care of all the route planning, right? There is no private operator in this case. And if yeah. there is a private operator, he will work with the city authorities. Hey, I'm going to start my own private bus service. Let's say your example. And you say, I want to go on this route. And the city will say, okay, let me check if it's feasible or not, if it's viable or not. And they say, okay, you can start your operation. Same way, it will happen in the drones as well. Like like an operator, it will be operator's responsibility. In case the operator is the government or the city, it will be city who would be doing that. And when, when you talk about safety, I think that's an important topic. What are the main possible fail points of a vehicle like this at this point? At this point, the technology is still evolving. I cannot highlight much in that, to be honest. But okay. uh, it's still uh, we are we are still testing and like evolve. The technology is still evolving one on one. So as we talk about D hang, we haven't had any failures in twenty thousand about twenty thousand hours of flying. So it's at very nascent stage to highlight. Okay, this is the problem or that is the problem. It will take another few years to actually get to the trucks. Okay, this might be the problem or this is what we need to solve again. Okay, I understand. How fast can it go? I, I guess it depends on the model, but let's say on average, you can tell me this model goes this fast, this model goes that fast. Is speed in general an important aspect for people you believe? Are you as a manufacturer, are you worried about speed and about how fast can someone go to a, from A to B or is that a secondary thing at this point? You're doing very short distances, so speed is not a very major factor. Anyways, you're doing point A to point B. So more safety is the more important aspect than speed. And generally like for uh, 216, it can go around 100 kilometers per hour and max speed can go up to 130. But you're going, as I said, you're going from point A to point B. Speed is not that much of a factor. Even if you go from 100 to 200, you might be like saving one minute. That's it inside the city because you still have to follow the procedures and stuff. 
I understand. And so what is the current status right now, Akash, when you look at the industry, you as an inside player working on this on a daily basis, I understand that you work a lot with regulations as well. Exactly. How, how advanced are we, for example, in this case, I believe you're more familiar with Europe. Exactly. Right? So I, I would say, to be very honest, uh, we are not far. We are not far. The operations would, would start very soon. It can, there are multiple manufacturers in Europe and uh, it's not about like who's going to do first. It's, it's, it's more about uh, there has to be someone first to break the market, right? And I would say we, we are not far. Another three to four years, we can see some commercial operations already materializing in Europe. Do you think that it is a challenge for, or do you as a manufacturer worry about the challenge that I believe people might be scared of? going into or flying into a drone like this that is because it's such a new technology you're basically trusting either a guy that is flying you remotely somewhere but you cannot see or you're trusting the system the technology it is a very interesting point of view actually public acceptance is a very very big factor in this which i have i might have missed earlier it's a huge factor actually to start commercial operations and it's good that you, all the European authorities and the national aviation authorities are working towards it. It's all about awareness, you see. So they like all the European projects that uh, one of the European projects that I am working on, uh, it's more focused on awareness. The trials and demonstrations are open to public to, to so that they can see this technology is safe. And as, as you see, the public acceptance in past few years, especially in Europe, has gone a little, little up. It's a good thing, but it's a very important point that public acceptance also needs to come. And as I, as I told you, the European authorities are working towards it to spread more and more awareness about it. So it, it's a challenge to solve, I would say. Do you work together with any operators? Are opera I mean, operators, they're, I guess they're not operating commercially yet, but um, are there any companies that are ready to jump in at this? There are. There are a few of them. As you see, like uh, the National Police of Spain is using our vehicle. To, to start the operations as soon as uh, the regulations are in place. What are they using it for? Or what would they use it for? It will be surveillance and inspections. Uh, you can go and check it out on YouTube, like Hang216 with National Police of Spain. There are a lot of demonstration flights happening with them. So it would be to flying around the neighborhood and, and basically <laughs> policing, making sure there's no crime happening, etc. No, it's more basically to reduce the response time. You see, if, if you go mm. by a load... It's, it's 10 minutes, but if there's some emergency happening, you can take this and you will be there in three to four minutes. It's more about that rather than policing. Okay. Okay. I see. I, when I was in Jaitis, actually, I went to the stand of the Dubai police and they also showed this video where they use a drone, but it was a smaller drone. It was not a, such a big drone where you can actually have someone inside, but this drone would go on an emergency, you say it's a traffic accident they, and they, with a camera, they would, and facial recognition, they would recognize who is involved in the accident. They would have a database of what kind of, you know, blood type maybe that person that is involved in the accident has, make sure that they carry with a drone some first emergency kit so that someone on ground can actually help. Exactly. Um, and their response time, like you said, is much faster. So this is something like this, more or less. Exactly. Exactly. It's more about the response time. I understand. When I talked about the challenge of maybe people accepting or let's say fighting against that fear of flying a vehicle that is controlled by technology and that's it. I also see 
uh, or I also wonder if there is a benefit for a city, let's say, again, let's take the example of Tokyo or even Beijing, which is very polluted. In terms of pollution, when you compare a flying vehicle like, like the Ehang vehicle, with a car, Mark. Can, you can talk yeah. about a, 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 an electric vehicle as well. How, how, how would you compare that? What is the kind of pollution that these vehicles emit? See, there, it's electric, so there is no pollution at all. And it's more about not, not about pollution. What this vehicle will be used for, if you see by the uh, mid half of the century, 70% of the population will be living in urban areas. So there's a high need to decongest that city. So let's let's say suppose you uh, let's take your example. If uh, your office is somewhere near the city center, you would obviously want to live near the city center to reduce your commute time, right? What yeah. uh, what it does is like the cities become more and more congested, and there is no more space on the roads. There is no more way you can build the roads. But what this urban this AUM will help is decongest the, that cities. Now you don't have to worry about because now you can live in the suburbs and take a AV to to your office, and you are there in ten minutes. So this, this would be the more, more interesting aspect of using these vehicles. And when you talk in terms of pollution, it's, it's electric. It's more about the source of electricity. It's not about the vehicle, which is polluting. Right. Okay. Now that, that, that's another rabbit hole that we, exactly. we don't want to go down because we can exactly. spend hours and hours where, this, where actually that electric energy comes from. That's another story. Um, and I believe, of course, in, in the long run, it, it, I hope. My hope is that it, it, it gets cleaner and cleaner. Um, when you talk about congestion and you say, you know, if you right now take one hour from, look, I'm from Colombia originally. Okay. And when I go back home and I believe for you, India is very similar or maybe even worse in terms of traffic. Okay. You're in Bogota, a, a city of 8 million people. Some people live in the South. They work in the North. They take two hours, two hours and a half to cross the city. And they have to do that because their, you know, their jobs need them to be there physically. So I imagine, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a great idea. If you can, you can just fly and shorten your time and avoid traffic jams, that's great. But then as soon as a lot of people want to do that, then you have a traffic jam on the air or not. No, it's not about that. It's more about planning. If you see, like, you will, you will be directly going out of your house and taking the vehicle and go directly landing on the office. It's not going to be that way. It's not going to be that simple. It's going to be multimodal. But what, what, what do I mean by multimodal is uh, you get out of your house, you basically walk for 10 minutes or, or take a bicycle for 10 minutes. You reach the nearest Verdi port, you take the vehicle and you go near the city center. You get down and 5-10 minutes, you walk to your office or take a bus. So it's, it's going to be interconnections of all these technologies. All right. All right. So it's an addition to the current infrastructure exactly. rather than a re replacing some sort of train exactly. or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it will work like that way. It's, it's not going to replace anything. They, they are here to complement these systems. And you, when, when you build something, you always complement. You don't remove the existing systems. You, you integrate and you make it more better. You make it more efficient. You see? Yeah, I understand. Have you flown in any of these vehicles already yourself? Not, not, not me inside, not yet. I need to visit China for that. Our headquarters. Okay. But here it will be, it, it's not allowed in Europe at all at the moment. It's not allowed at all. Okay, but you've flown them. You've controlled them remotely yeah. Yeah. or yeah. At, in, a, in a test environment. Exactly. And how does it look like you're sitting in an office space with screens around you? I'm very curious. 
about how this looks like. Also, because there's a lot of people that listen to this afterwards. And I know a lot of people that listen to me are young. And so they're looking for maybe their next step in their career or trying to understand what to do with their lives. And so I find this topic super interesting because again, it reminds me of me looking at Cartoon Network and seeing and watching the Jetsons and, and wondering, wow, this is amazing. So for these people, these young people, these young folks that are looking for their next step in their career, I want you to maybe illustrate them, tell them a bit of how your environment, your work environment looks like when you fly this kind of vehicles. I would suggest to look at the Hang Command and Control Center if you Google it, because there's a lot of confidential information involved there. But I would yeah. put it in a simple way. You can Google it, Hang Command and Control Center. So it can be as big as that. Or mm -hmm. it can be as small as as a, as a laptop or a tablet. So it could be even on a phone. Not not phone, but a laptop or a tablet. Or it can be as big as the high command control center. You can Google it about it. So this okay. is the information that I can give at the moment. The rest is all confidential. But I would say this is a very, if anybody is looking for a career in this, I would say this is the moment, this is the time. We need a lot, a lot of people coming into this ecosystem to make a, make a push for it. And it's going to be huge in the coming future. It's not something, it's here to stay. It's not something like a fad, like a Bitcoin. Okay, that's, a, that's another rabbit hole. But um, how, how do you, how do you, for someone that is young, maybe just uh, getting out of high school, um, how do you get into this? What do you have to study? What kind of skills, because you say we're going to need a lot of people. What kind of skills do you need? The, the thing is, like not the industry at that very nascent stage. You can start off by just getting a simple drone pilot license, which is very easy. You need to have the basics of flying, like aviation regulations. You need to be aware about how the operations happen, which are, which is very simple to learn. So I would suggest to start off with, the, you know, just a small drone pilot license and get your hands on it and start the flying few of these small systems. It's it's very easy. It's nothing to be scared of. Like when it comes to flying drones, I've seen a lot of people that it's kind of a mind blocker rather than, you know, it's people think, oh, it's a drone. It's a, uh, it's, 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 I, it, I'm not getting a good word to put it, but it's a kind of a mind blocker. Once you get passed through it, then you start to understand the industry more and more. Then you see how the actual operations are happening. And you can start as simple as that. Like you can go online and look at the civil aviation, whichever country you are based in, go to your civil aviation website, search for drone pilot license. And most of the licenses, you can do it, finish it online by sitting in your home. Do you believe that now I want to change a bit the topic because I realized that mm, from a conversation I had before some weeks ago with a cybersecurity expert and she told me all about it and it was super interesting, very, very nice conversation. If you guys want to listen to it, it's on my link tree. But yeah, I was thinking cybersecurity getting hacked, one of these unmanned flying vehicles, that's also a, a threat, no? Or what? Are you guys as a manufacturer working on this? Exactly. It is It is a challenge to be solved. And what a lot of manufacturers are working with is working with the network operators to have a dedicated bandwidth and a safe and secure bandwidth. So there are a lot of regulations in place, how to design these communication systems through EU regulations to make it more and more secure. So basically, if you look at EU regulations, you can say something called C2 command link. And they have given the specification how to design it to, to prevent it from hacking. It is a challenge that aviation authorities and manufacturers both are, so, are trying to solve it. C2 command link is called? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Command and control link. It's in the EU regulation. When it comes to regulations, 
are the regulations put together with the manufacturers, like manufacturers and regulators, politicians sitting together and looking into this and, and defining the, the space, basically? Obviously, it's not just manufacturers. It's like everyone in the ecosystem, once the regulations are made, the document is sent out for comments for everyone to comment on it, whether it's an operator, whether it's normal drone pilot or a manufacturer, to give the feedback on like how the regulations is. And based on that, the aviation authorities take those comments into consideration and do the changes accordingly, which best suits the industry practices. That's how the EU regulations work. How do this big traditional aviation companies react to company like Ehang? Do you guys work together in any way? What's their take on this development of this branch of the industry? Actually, in the beginning, there was a lot of backlash from the traditional aviation authorities because there were a lot of security issues involved. If you see at the Gatwick Airport, which had to be closed a lot of times a couple Why? of years back. Why was that? Hard. It's because drones were going up in the air and uh, it's a big safety hazard. Yeah. You know? Well, I live in Germany. I think it's not so different here. Exactly. Exactly. Frankfurt had that same problem. CDG had the same problem. So there was a lot of backlash initially. And even what, what started happening, a lot of pilots started reporting about the drones. And in some cases, the drones were not even there and they were false reporting it. The drones don't go that, they, they don't go that high up as the flights. So it was more like on the landing and taking off, I guess, when they were a bit exactly, lower. Exactly, because when they're coming in land for city, they, they, they had to descend. So that's why when the regulations have become more mature and have become more harmonized, these aviation companies have realized that the potential of this, because now even they can offer their clients, suppose like Emirates, you can book a ticket directly to your Paris hotel. Like you get down off the Emirates aircraft, take a take a eVTOL and you are there at the hotel. So they, they are realizing it bit by bit and it would be totally depends upon the integration, how the integration is going to happen between the two systems. That's right. the most important part. Right. As I mentioned earlier, it's, it, it's the integration of UTM, basically unmanned traffic management and ATM, air traffic management. So UTM is basically your branch and ATM is the traditional one. Exactly, exactly. So the integration needs to happen to make it more safe and secure. What about the integration with the land public transportation or actually private transportation companies, let's say Uber? They are, they are even, they are developing their own vehicles itself. And you see a lot of cities are already offering these services. Like if you take an example of Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. There's city who has mastered urban air mobility. They have done it through helicopters, but in the future it can be replaced by eVTOLs. They are the, they are the one of the best in the world when it comes to implementing urban air mobility and perform the integration in these short distances. Why not using helicopters? Why do we need to switch to? It's very, very costly. It's very maintenance heavy. The like helicopter, you mean? Exactly. It's mm -hmm. not accessible to everyone. If the mass adoption needs to happen, if it's not accessible to everyone in the mass scale, it's not going to help with the problem of decongestion. I like, for example, me, like I, I cannot pay for a helicopter every day to office. <laughs> right. And do you have an estimate? Do you guys in your team talk about maybe how, how cheap do you think it could go when it comes to a ticket in the future? You know, if I pay an Uber from A to B in Berlin, where I live, I pay, I would say within the city maximum 20, 20 euros, 25 euros. Can you get that cheap? Yeah, I'll give you an example of DG Airport, which the data is already online on Google. DG is Charles de Gaulle, right? Exactly, Charles de Gaulle Paris yeah. Airport. 
it will cost you going from CDG to the Paris city center the same, but what you pay for Uber. Interesting. Yeah. And it would be faster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if you go from CDG to city center, Paris, it's two hours, then Uber, it's a lot of congestion on the way. And you have like a pool service, like say not only two people, but maybe six people that take it together, but they don't necessarily know each other. Depends upon the design of the vehicle, right? How many, how many you can accommodate. Right. What are the current designs? How many can they accommodate? There are different, different designs available in the market from a two-seater to four-seater. And there are some with six-seaters as well. How high do they go, actually? In the city, they would be signing it around 500 to 1,000 meters. And then they land and they take off vertically, right? Exactly. Like, an, like a helicopter or is there a difference there? No, it's, it's like a helicopter, vertical land and vertical takeoff. I guess the big difference is that the helicopter produces a lot of sound and a lot of wind and this electric drone is much maybe silent and not so much wind or in that case, what's the difference? At the moment, noise is, is a concern which needs to be solved, but it's not as high as an helicopter. It's, it's still lower than a helicopter, but still the noise is a concern because you would be flying very low in the city and nobody wants flying all the time. Is it also a concern that people on the ground walking, you know, pedestrians and they look up, they look up in the sky in 50 years and they see just drones flying around and they think, oh, I could die anytime because one of these things could just fall in my head. Just playing devil's advocate here. It's never, that kind <laughs> of traffic is never going to happen. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I could believe some people might find that a bit frightening. Yeah, exactly. Like Adam, there's a lot of concern with people, as you said, like uh, people think that there will be drones everywhere flying in the sky, like here and there, everywhere. No, it's not going to happen. There will be special corridors made and they will be flying through special corridors, not, not like a free route everywhere. Same like an aircraft operation, like you fly in a particular route, right? Just minimize it to, to a city level and you do the same thing. When it comes to a very basic question, actually, but I was wondering, I love animals when it comes to birds, um, how, because birds, I mean, they fly, I believe on the same height as this drone or not. Is that a concern as well, or you don't touch much that topic? Right now, the topic hasn't been touched much, uh, to be okay. very honest, whether from the, from the regulation perspective. But the thing is, like the, the noise made by the propeller, it, it's very unique. It scares away the animals. So it's kind of a good thing as well. Okay. Okay. Like, okay. I see. I mean, like, like, like I give you an example, like yeah. uh, in so uh, southern part of India. So yeah. they had a lot of uh, problem with the elephants because the, the, the rail route, the train route was going through the forest. And most of the time, like elephants used to come on the tracks. And during the night, they used to get hit by the trains, which was a bad thing. So yeah. government tried a, a lot of things to do uh, to solve that, but they, they weren't able to solve it. Then they came to know that uh, elephants are afraid of bees and the small quadcopters make the same noise as bees. <laughs> so mm. now near the tracks, what happened is uh, they put, put the drones there and put the sensors. So whenever the elephants try to come near the tracks, the drones will go up and the elephants would move away. Interesting. So now they make that sound on purpose. They put that sound there on purpose. Exactly. To, to tame the elephants. Yeah, I guess, I guess that, that can be solved in multiple ways. Definitely. I don't see that as a big challenge, but I had that little concern as well. Okay. So noise is a concern. Helicopters are expensive, They're expensive to take, of course, as a passenger. And this kind of drones you say could compete with terrestrial traffic cars, Exactly. traditional cars. It is not to compete. It's more to complement. 
You know, you can be. No, so. I mean, I mean, compete for user because, of course, it can complement the system. You know, nowadays, me as a user, as a city dweller, I have the option of taking my bike or renting a scooter or taking an Uber or taking the metro or taking a normal taxi. So I have five different options, and this would be a sixth one. So I'm, what I'm saying is that sixth one will have to compete with the other five, for example. So it, it would have to have certain points of differences or like unique selling proposition. That you can uh, search it on Google. The project is Commute Project. It's uh, Sopra Stereo, the, my previous company, which I was working in, is a part of that project. So what Commute Project is doing, suppose you want to take, uh, you want to come to Paris, okay? So you go to the app, Commute app, you enter your home address in Colombia, enter mm -hmm. your destination address uh, in Paris. And it will list all the options. Okay, from your home, you go to nearest world airport, take the taxi near the airport, take a bicycle, go yeah. to the airport, take this flight. From there, take another world airport nearby your house. And from there, you can either walk, you can take a bus or to reach the destination. So that's the idea yeah. from A to B. Exactly. So it aggregates basically all the different providers and it gives the user the best way of moving from A to B. That's, 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 for me, that's a, that's a win situation definitely for, for the end consumer. I don't see how that is bad. It's definitely, definitely a good thing. Exactly. Exactly. I would like to tell everyone else that is listening at this moment on Twitter, that if you have any questions or you want to participate, or you want to maybe share a story related to flying cars, if you're part of the industry or not, if you have any doubt, you didn't understand something that Akash was saying, you can please raise your hand and I'll give you the mic. Otherwise, Akash, I would like to know from your side, um, you already told us who you gave advice to younger people of what they could study, what kind of route they can take to start their career in the aviation space, in this case, the drone or they say flying taxis, as I call it, uh, but you call it unmanned aerial vehicles. That's more the more technical term. So you already told us that. Now I want to know from your side, how do you see the future in this space? How do you, if you would have to explain someone in very simple words, let's say your mother, your aunt, someone that is not very technical and tell them, look, mom, aunt, grandmother, father, whatever, in 20, 30, 50 years, this is how the world would look like in terms of the aviation space. What would you say? I would simply say, if you are struggling right now to go to the market, don't worry, in 20 years, you'll be flying to the market and you will save a lot of time. To the market, you miss the supermarket. Yeah. And so how far can you go with these things? Can you go from one city to the other? Will we get to the point where... Um, yeah, different platforms. Few platforms are designed for uh, operations inside city from point A to point B, and other platforms which are coming up to within 300 kilometer range from city one to city two, right? And above 300 kilometer range, it doesn't make sense. People generally take a aircraft, right? So there are platforms coming up to go to nearby cities. Like if you look at Ehang VT30, which has a range of 300 kilometers, which is designed to go from one city to another city. 216 is designed to be inside city from A to B. So basically, this will make traveling cheaper, in your opinion. Exactly. It will. And okay. much faster, much eco-friendly. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right. If no one else has a question, I'd love to wrap up. I'm very happy and grateful, Akash, that I could join or you could join us in this conversation. I learned a lot from you and that's great. 
I hope to see you soon, maybe in Dubai or maybe on the yeah. air. Maybe when you, if you're coming to France, let me know. You can visit me in Lyon. <laughs> Absolutely, I will. Thank you so much, Akas, for your time, for, your, for sharing your expertise. See you next time. And thank you, everyone, for being here. It was a pleasure to host this space. And see you next time. Have a beautiful evening, morning, or day, wherever you are. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Here at the Mr. Rad Show, we provide first-hand information straight from the original source of knowledge. The personal opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect those of Mr. Rad. This show is brought to you by The Rad House, an unbiased, transparent, agendaless, independent media house. Our theme music is written and produced by Marco Mello.